Join us for our tour of Milwaukee's Explorium Brew Pub. So we've already improved this into a, an outside bar. Um, this, this, had, this had rails and ties. Um, the ceiling is, is uh, flame-proof because they were running steam locomotives through here. Um, but they could pull they could pull two box cars in here and unload them into the warehouse. So it's kind of cool. So we call this the tunnel bar um, That's really neat. and the tunnel dining, which is really kind of a neat feature. I mean, it's super unique. I've never seen it. I'm a, I am not either. I'm a building designer by trade. I've never seen anything like this. Right. Owned by Mike Doble. I'm a I'm a civil engineer by profession. Oh, okay. And I got into this business. My folks have been in this business forever. My dad's an ex-army guy. Okay. So I grew up in the military. Gotcha. Um, mostly in Europe. My okay. dad got assigned to Europe when I was in sixth grade, and I I didn't come back to the states for about seven and a half years. Oh wow! So I learned to drink all kinds of great beer. Who created this cozy Milwaukee brew house that not only survived the pandemic, but is quickly becoming a third ward staple by brewing their own unique taps. We make all of our own beer on site. Okay. Um, so besides having food and liquor and everything else, we make all of our own beer. Um, okay. In so far as brew pubs go, we're unique in that we have such a broad array of beers. Most places you go, you know, you may have tw 10, 12 taps. Right. We have 24. Oh, wow. Um, it's all produced here. All produced here. Wow. Um, which is kind of a monumental effort just yeah. to produce and maintain, but it takes a lot of storage to make that much beer. I make, yeah. I make 300 gallons at a time. So pretty much every tap has about 300 gallons of beer behind it. The secret to his success? You know, my mantra is across the board, and I say it over and over again, they're so sick of me saying this, that everybody who walks through the door, whether you're a staff or a guest, gets treated with kindness and respect. Right. And that's it. We'll just kind of walk back up through the kitchen. I'll kind of show you the little back of house. Cool. Kitchen. Smells good. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Welcome to Season 3 of the Right Idea Podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, Volunteer President and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. In this season, we're highlighting the creativity and the work ethic behind the businesses that make Wisconsin's economy go round. Today, we're interviewing Mike Doble, owner of the Explorium Brew Pub with two locations in Wisconsin, in Greendale and in the Third Ward in Milwaukee. In today's episode with Mike, we'll be diving into the history behind the creation of Explorium Brew Pub, the challenges of growing a business during the onset of COVID-19, and how a hobby and love for brewing turned into a successful business. I hope you enjoy. This is the Right Idea Podcast. All right, well, we're here in Milwaukee at the Explorium Brew Pub. Mike Doble, thanks so much for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Kevin, I'm a big fan. I appreciate you being here. Well, you don't have to say you're a big fan. No, I am. <laughs> I'm a big guy. I'm a fan. Thank you. No, it means a lot, and I appreciate it. And we're, our whole team is thrilled to come here. And we just did a tour of your facility, and we're going to talk more about that. But it's an amazing space. It really is. I mean, it, it just screams Milwaukee in so many different ways, from the fact that you're in the Menominee Valley to the fact that it just retains all the character of the industrial yep. character of the city. And talk a bit about it, like how you found it. And yeah, this is, this is um, a fantastic place to put a brew pub. Um, we are sitting in um, what was um, what is one of the six buildings that is the Pritzloff building. Uh, the Pritzloff building in general is an event space, um, but there's some offices in this building, a little bit of retail. Okay. Um, there is, and, and about a 99 apartments are above and the upper floors. Currently. Currently, okay. yeah. And so this is a really, uh, just from a facility standpoint and a location standpoint, it's a great building to be in. We have a hop stop right out front, so yep. when, so maybe we can get some people to ride the hop. Um, you might and, be the reason <laughs> I, do that. Right? Yeah, I know, <laughs> and I hope I am. Um, we've already invested all that money. It, might as well might put as well it to use. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, technically, we're in the third ward. Okay. Um, we're in the Third Ward Planning District in the city of Milwaukee, and it's, it's fun being part of the Third Ward community. I, I worked down in the Third Ward for years, 
And so it's kind of cool to come back because I, I used to work in a building. My office was in a building that looked a lot like this. It was, okay. you know, wooden columns and wood floors and the exposed ceiling. And, and I just loved it. And I, I remember sitting in my office at times going, man, this is such a waste to have this as an office. This should be a brew pub. Right, um, right. So, yeah, so about a, um, we've been in business for about four years. Okay. Um, I have a location over in Greendale. Um, so I have and a that's the original location. That's the original location. Um, it's in Southridge Mall. So there's plenty of parking and there's a ton of outdoor space and everything else. So I've gotten accustomed to that. Right. And I really wasn't looking, especially as a pandemic was ramping up, to open another location. Uh, but one day I'm sitting in my office and a request came to see me at a table and I stopped over and it was a, it was a friend of mine and, a, and an attorney that I know and, and another gentleman I did not know. Um, turns out um, it was Kendall Brunig, the owner of this building. And Kendall made the pitch to open a brew pub in his building downtown. And I was, um, you know, of course, right away, I'm like, eh, it's not, the timing's not right. I'm sure parking's going to be a challenge. I'm sure there's not enough space, you know, all those things. Well, he addressed all those things and brought me here. Um, when I walked in the first time and I saw the space, um, I... Actually, my, what, what I said to him was, my wife's going to be pissed. Um, because, and he's like, well, why? He goes, because she's going to get another brew pub. Yeah. And, um, I can't say no. Um, so it really I, does. It screams for it. And we, as you gave us a tour, you, you showed us the, uh, the brewing production uh, facility that you built, which is merged into the dining area. And again, it all really does flow together. And I know um, you have a background in design and, and working in spaces like this, and you really pulled it off beautifully. Yeah, thank you. Everybody Appreciate that. The facility and max it out. Yeah, and and to us, you know, having having the right materials and the right um, tone of materials and l the proper lighting and right. you know all those things help make it a warm, comfortable place to hang out. I need people to want to hang out because I need them drinking beer drinking and eating beer. food and gathering and um, you know and the whole concept behind our brand is to bring people together. Right. And right. you know as a gathering place and we try really hard to be a neighborhood pub where we get regulars to come in. Right. Um, a lot of people just view us as a restaurant. They come in, they make a reservation, they have dinner, they go home, and that's great too. Sure. Um, but you know, the whole idea is to become that neighborhood gathering place. Um, bit of a challenge with COVID going on. And that is, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And, yeah. Well, so before we even get to that, I mean, so much of being a restauranteur is not just simply the food or the beer, it, although obviously that's a critical part of it. It is creating an atmosphere that people want to go to and to be physically present. And you've obviously done that here, it looks beautiful. But as you're alluding to, you're facing a whole nother set of challenges right now. With Absolutely. COVID. Talk to me a bit about the challenge right now that you're facing with that and how you're dealing with it. And how things yeah, absolutely. And, and I, um, I'm not naive. I, I got into opening this location um, as I saw what was going on in China. And at okay. the, time, the time when I looked at this space, if we think back, um, that was when we were seeing on the news that airplanes from China were being set aside on the other side of the airport and right. people were being quarantined. And, you know, I kind of knew this was coming. Okay. Um, my hope was is that we, you know, we would have been coming out of it by the end of September. Perfect. You know, originally I was thinking, hey, I want to be open by the DNC. Um, I'd love to, you know, have, you know, that business coming in because that right. would have been huge for our city. Right. Um, we all, of course, know what happened there with it being canceled and Summerfest being canceled and all those things. Right. Um, but I opened up and I pushed it back a little bit, opened up in September. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. um, because of that, I designed in some features, such as you know the way we separated our tables. Um, behind me, I'm sitting in a booth, and behind me, the wall is high, well over my head. Right. Um, that's by design because of you know the pandemic, and okay. you know it, it allowed me to separate our booths and whatnot without having to put in plexiglass dividers and those sorts say, of things. I say you literally do have, and it completely fits with the motif of the building, but you've got separations between seats that exist right now. Exactly. And, and when, when this is over, because this too shall pass sure. and, you know, we'll get through this. I'm not worried about it. I really did build this for after the pandemic. Um, I built it to survive it, but then for, for afterwards. But the, but the challenge really has been, um, really the biggest challenge is making, communicating to the general public that you can come here, you can enjoy yourself, you can bring your family, and you can do that safely. Right. Um, 
you know, training staff, you know, on proper, you know, let's let's face it, staff is supposed to be properly sanitizing things in a regular in time a regular anyway, right? right yes, um, and I, you know, and, and I, I hope you noticed as you did the tour that I'm pretty hyper anal retentive about things, right. organized and clean yep. and whatnot anyway. Right. Um, so for, for me to communicate that to the general public, um, that's been the biggest challenge is getting them in here. Once they're here and they see it and they see how our staff behaves, they see that they wear their masks and wearing a mask is covering nose and mouth and right. you know they're washing their hands and they're wearing gloves when they're handling you know dirty dishware, right. all those things. Um, that's what's been hard to communicate. And, I, and you hate to get online and constantly talk about COVID and talk about this and right. that. Um, so I've taken the approach of, hey, we're not gonna talk about it all the time. We're just going to demonstrate positive behaviors and show people that they can come here and be safe. And you mentioned that the tour we took, and as I walked around, and I made the joke, I've seen enough kitchens and kitchen nightmares, which me and my children love to watch because it's just very amusing. I do too, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) To know that that is not the case in all facilities, but this place is ticked and tied, and I can tell, and this has come from someone who literally like walks around his house like putting things away because it drives me crazy if it's not. Right. You might have something in your background that has led you to be as organized and structured as you are. Talk to me a bit about your family history and your history. And, sure. Uh, I know it involves the military. Right on. Yeah, so I, I grew up the, the third son of a Vietnam veteran. Okay. Uh, my dad was a career army guy, uh, two tours in Vietnam. Uh, and he he was in he was in 28 years um, okay. as as an officer. He went through ROTC in college in the early 60s. Right. Um, right after getting commissioned, ended up in 1966. Ended up in Vietnam okay. um, during during actually most one of the most active times during the war. Um, went back a second time in 1969. Um, actually, right after I was born. Um, so I was an infant, so I don't remember this. Um, I just remember all the PTSD after the fact and him waking up in the middle of the night and, you know, some of the issues and a lot of anger management issues and whatnot. Right. Um, but, you know, to my dad's credit, he learned to manage it. Okay. Um, he learned to um, he learned how to take a walk by himself sometimes when he needed it. Right. So I kind of grew up in that. And he was very organized. And um, because of his background, he kind of raised us that way. Right. And so when I'm in college, you know, who did I gravitate towards? My friends were all guys who were in ROTC, and I'm like, hey, what's this all about? And um, long story short, um, after college, um, I convinced the Army to give me a scholarship and pay for college. Which, which is, is a good thing to convince them of. Which is great. Um, so after college, I spent six and a half years myself in the military. Um, what, was I was, your, what was your MOS? Uh, I'm an Army en- engineer. Okay. Um, so I was, I'm a combat engineer. Are you? Okay. Which just means we screw around with demo a bit. We can't Absolutely. Anything. So, so, I, so, I, so as an officer in, uh, in that sort of... Uh, in, as a, with my almost being an engineer, we had to do it all. Yep. Um, so I kind of had two, two fun tours. I spent my first four and a half years at Fort Bragg okay. in North Carolina, and that was that was the tour where we jumped out of planes, blew stuff up, yep. and you know laid landmines and that sort of thing, right. which was great. Right. Um, but then I had a second tour after my advanced course. Um, I uh, was promoted to captain, and I ended up in Hawaii. Okay. Um, worked in uh, worked in Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, um, at a, at a combat heavy engineer battalion. Um, and I was the civil engineer for the battalion. Oh, wow. Um, so that was a lot of fun because I had about 520 um, skilled um, soldiers who were equipment operators. They were brick masons. They were electricians, they know their plumbers. Yeah. They know their specialty. And it was a lot of fun. But it kind of threw me into a role. I have a technical background. And it threw me into a role where I got to, for the first time, kind of use my technical background and do design work. Um, and during that time, I got my professional engineer license. And I actually turned down company command to continue working as a civil engineer because we, my wife and I, you know, our thought process was she didn't want to have kids while I was still in the military because, you know, because we we see what happens, right? So we made the choice that, hey, I'm going to exit the military. Let's give somebody else the opportunity for command and I'll stay in and and finish out my tour as the civil engineer of the battalion. Oh, so you stayed on as, so contractor, so I I stayed on as an active duty, um, active duty captain. Um, So I finished out my... You didn't take command is what you're saying. I didn't take command, correct. And so, uh, so I got out. Um, I ETS'd in uh, the summer of '98, um, and ended up here in Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, my wife's from Muskego. I was going to say, there's some yeah. other connection because your family. I think you originally said, well, you, you must have been all over, but you yeah, we, Florida as well too, right? Yeah. So at, at retirement, my dad and mom settled in Tampa, Florida. Okay. Got 
and that's where most of that's where all my brothers ended up. Okay. Um, but I met a, in college. I met a gal from Muskego. Um, she pulled me back here. <laughs> um, you know, and, and actually, our thought process was, and I and I love Milwaukee. Um, our thought process was, you know, where do we want best to raise a family? Right. You know, is it Tampa, Florida, or is it Milwaukee, Wisconsin? And I'll hands down, even today, I advise people. This is the most wonderful town to raise a family in. It really is. Um, it's a very small town, big city. Right. No, and it very much is. And it had everything to do with why uh, my wife and I brought our family back here, too. It is a great place for us. Meanwhile, Tampa is a great place to be if you are a 70-year-old retiree. Absolutely. It's a wonderful place to be if you love to golf or you smoke cigars. So. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Milwaukee's a great place to go. Yeah, so so my folks' retirement job was to establish a homebrew store. Okay. Which eventually turned into a brew pub. Um, which um, and they did yeah. this earlier on. Is that correct? Early on, uh, they opened '95. Okay. And so you know, I moved. They they did that in '95 when we were living in Hawaii, and then um, when I got out got out in '98. You know, one of the one of the choices was to go to Tampa and join the family business and help them build this brew pub, and we decided to come here instead. But I always had this little bit of me that wanted to continue brewing, and I was a home brewer. You know, even um, my soldiers. Loved me being a home brewer, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure they did. I'm um, sure they did. But yeah, just watching from afar, um, I knew eventually, you know, getting into the hospitality business would be a would be would be a fun kind of semi-retirement move to make. Right. Um, so well, talk about the initial. So we talked about the decision to start this facility, but talk about the decision to start the initial brew pub. And, and obviously, you just mentioned family history there. Mm -hmm. You had the option to go down to Florida and work on that one, but at some point. You leave a job, you start this. Talk to me about how that. Sure. So, uh, so after after I got out in '98, I, I started working as a civil engineer here in Milwaukee. I had my own company. Um, what was that company? Um, it's called Landcraft Survey and Engineering. Okay. Um, it was a survey and engineering company. Um, we basically did land development work. Okay. Um, did a lot of little things, fundamentally land development work. Okay. Um, in in 2008, if you think back, what was happening in 2008? It was the start of the major reconstruction in Iraq. Um, during the Iraq war and one day some guy walked in my office and said hey you have a military background you're an army engineer um, we need guys like you um, you know I need you to go to Iraq on Friday and I'm okay. like okay who are you where do you where are you from those are legitimate questions to ask somebody that comes yeah. to me and asks that. Um, literally on a and, I, and I'll go somewhere with this story but literally sure. on a Monday this guy walks in my office I vetted them and on Friday I was on a plane to St. Louis for in processing and I went to Iraq as a contractor on Sunday. You were, we'll get to this, but you, so that's 2008. 2008. Okay, so I just left Iraq as you were heading over there. You know, and, and you being ex-military yourself, you kind of understand when you're not there, there's a certain level of guilt yeah, that you sure. have something to contribute, but you're not. Right. Um, it's twofold as a civilian, because I don't have the opportunity to say I want to go there, right. Right? right? But 10 years prior, you know, as a as a guy that was a former combat engineer, you know, ranger qualified, pathfinder qualified, a jump master, and ten years later, all this is going on, and some guy walks in my office and offers me the opportunity for for a lot of money. Right. I you know no, I have I to admit. But to have But offer you the opportunity offers you the opportunity to go address that itch to help and be right. there and support these guys. So I took the opportunity. I jumped and at it to apply your trade too, right? Apply to take my your trade. Expertise yep. to do it the right way and to have an impact. And and you and I both know that um, the military is very good at doing certain things, and then they do need plus ups on expertise that they do. It's just hard to retain uh, the level of expertise that you have and that you've learned commercially. Um, right. It's just it has to be put together the right way. Um, exactly right. Way. Yeah, the, the contractor side of the Army Corps of Engineers is extraordinarily important because yeah. it brings, you know, it brings the technical expertise to the muscle that the combat engineers and the combat heavy engineers already have in right. theater. They need the intellectual muscle, you know, to the, build a dam. The, to build a dam. Water. Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of what I was doing. Um, so I did that. Well, what that what happened is, um, as part of the, you know, I, I won't get into the sordid details, but. Eventually, my company was bought out okay. um, so that they could retain me, okay. and I worked for about the next five years. So from 2008 to 2013, I worked on basically Iraq reconstruction. Okay. Um, I was a program manager um, working for one of the big engineering companies, you know, managing that work. Um, now, when, were you 
back, I assume you're back and forth throughout the back, time? Back and okay. forth. Um, I didn't have to spend a lot of time in country. Okay. Um, most, most of my work in country was meeting with contract officers and meeting okay. with my in-country program managers. Um, I did most of my work here in the third ward. Okay. And when that project, when that wound down, I kind of found myself in, a, in this weird position where, you know, my job's kind of going away. You know, my company was bought by the company I'm working for. Right. They already had leadership and they were working. I kind of find my, found myself floundering in the middle a little bit. Sure. And uh, at the time, my mom and dad, their small brew pub had exploded into a larger brewery okay. and they needed to build a new facility. Okay. So long story short, I quit my job designed their new brewery for them in Tampa in Tampa yeah. I went down actually moved the family to Tampa for a year okay and built this built this brewery as a project manager um, my wife homeschooled the kids for a year they were okay. in they were in sixth and eighth grade at the time which was kind of fun right um, and you know we had a lot of flexibility you know you know science class was going to Vero Beach and going scuba diving right. you know so <laughs> <laughs> so that was it was it was a kind of a cool time but it was a nice transition and it got my toe um, dipped in the waters of hospitality yep. and kind of learning the business a little bit. Um, so even though I'm project managing this build, I was deeply involved with hiring the new staff for the new, the new restaurant and the new brewery, um, helping my brother with, you know, you know, all the things he had to organize for, you know, really a brewery that was six times the size of what they were originally operating out of. Um, so a lot of a lot of that stuff gave me the experience. I had all this technical expertise. I didn't have the hospitality expertise, and so um, when that job kind of wound down because that brewery's done, and I came back to Wisconsin and sitting in Milwaukee, and yeah. it didn't take me too long um, before I started looking for a place to build my own brew pub. So that was next. You came up, reset, yep. and then it's. Uh what location i mean you knew it was gonna be a brew pub right away because that's where yep. you had the experience and is it a love of let me ask you this is it family legacy led you there is it love of beer because it's not just a restaurant it is truly you are a brewery um more more than anything it's the love of uh, of hospitality okay um but uh my uh my when i when i came back um, from Florida, mm -hmm. I had this, rather than going back to a boring engineering job where I'm isolated in a cubicle again right. and doing engineering work, um, I got just bitten by this bug that, you know what, um, building a cool brand that people embrace, that they want to come to, and you can actually make some money doing it. Right. Um, it was a pretty big draw for me. Right. Um, so I did, I did some engineering work, I did some consulting, I worked for another company, a friend of mine, that um, needed a little help okay. while I organized putting together a brew pub. Um, my biggest trouble was I didn't know where to put it. Okay. I did look downtown, I looked in Tosa, I looked in Waukesha, I looked in Brookfield, I looked in Racine. Um, I looked all over mm -hmm. and I had kind of given up on finding the ideal spot um, because I wanted, I wanted a place, um, I wanted to open a place in a location where I knew I had a good customer base um, that the brand would speak to, that I could draw some people in. Um, and it was just hard to find the right look and feel, the right place to put it. Um, randomly one day I get a call from the, uh, the leasing agent at Southridge Mall and I'm like, Southridge Mall? I haven't been there in years, right. eons. Right. Um, you know, I work downtown, I live in the town of Vernon, you know, I, I seldom get by there. Right. Um, but um, somehow she convinced me to come out and look. Um, they, what, what really was the impetus is that they were willing to put a lot of money in to help me build it out. Okay. Um, it's their building. I was doing improvements to their building. They were willing to cover a lot of those costs. Partnership. Very, a very good partnership. Right. Um, it had a lot of things going for it in that, you know, limitless parking. Yeah. Uh, you good know, foot traffic. Good foot traffic. Right. Um, a big outdoor patio space. Um, a municipality that was very business minded, right. um, very focused on, you know, um, how can we help? Right. And that made a big difference. Um, having the community, you know, take the approach of, you know, not, you know, not, not scrutinizing what materials we might be using yeah. on some inconsequential part of the build, right. but focusing on, hey, how can we help facilitate this? Is our building inspector getting you what you need? Right. Um, do you need? Do you need some help with anything? You know, you know, what about your operating hours, you know? Right. Well, you know, in, in the village, there, you know, there is a, an ordinance that doesn't allow you to do outside retail, but we're going to change it for you and allow for what you want to do with your outside patio and all that. Huge for yes. me as a, as a neophyte, you know, business owner 
to come in and have that kind of political support and that willingness to be flexible and, and set up the community, I mean, it creates a lot of success in that community by taking that approach. You're talking, yeah, so you're talking about something so important. Uh, one of our pillars in No Better Friend, one of the things I believe in strongly is policies that induce economic growth. But now let's separate that from the comments that we've all heard about politicians and the amount of quote unquote jobs they've created. Right. <laughs> Which is a very different Politicians bizarre... don't create jobs. No, they don't. <laughs> but what they do and what they can do, and, and, and those that do it should be lauded for doing it, is they can create the right canvas on which people like yourself can build businesses. And that's a very different thing. And very well said. Literally just talked about was that canvas, right? Like, what do we do to create, whether it's regulatory changes or whatever the case is, the environment in which someone like yourself right. can take the risk. And it is a risk, and you know this, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, lay down the capital, put in the time and effort, and from that, builds a business. And right. Is you know, you hear about building businesses, and if you haven't done it like you have, I don't know that anyone fully understands it, but it's a very organic thing to make profit. Like, it, yep. it's risk capital it's hard work it's all this stuff and from it comes through your labor and you know bureaucrats and, and politicians have a role to play in making that as easy as possible because it absolves so many other problems in life yep. you don't have to fix it yeah absolutely i mean and just to expand on that i and i've explained this to a lot of a lot of politicians is that you know yes there are rules in place and yes i'm starting a business knowing what the rules are but as a bureaucrat or as a politician, you have to realize that some of those rules were put into place not contemplating what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. And sometimes, if an idea comes up, you have to recontemplate what the rules say right. to allow flexibility to allow for growth. Right. Um, back in the Jimmy Carter years, going way back mm -hmm. um, in the late late 80s and or late 80s, um, brewing beer at home was illegal. And Jimmy Carter signed a bill. I don't know who pushed for it. I'm sure the Home Brewers Association yeah. or something yeah. or some group of lobbyists, right. you know, grassroots effort, right. um, convinced the Congress to enact a law to allow people to brew 200 gallons of beer for their own use in their home. Okay. It, it created an entire industry, massive industry, um, because from those home brewers became brewers. Some of those brewers who actually made good beer became brew pub owners right. or brewery owners. And you know, in, in, 19, in 1980, there was about um, 800 breweries in the country. Okay. Now there's over 10,000. Really? Because of one seemingly little inconsequential law to allow people to brew at home right. grew an entire industry worth billions of dollars. With well, the market just waiting for them, right? And the consumers, yep. and, and that that that's critical, right? It's to your point. It's it's allowing something to happen. It's not forcing it. It's not picking winners and losers. Right. It's saying there's a demand, and if you're able to produce to meet the demand, we yes, go do it. And that's right. great. And the the funny little thing about that is, you know, to your point, addressing a market worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. Now, guess what? Those are things you don't have to. Those are people who are not dependent on you name it, giveaways or support or whatever the case is, instead revenues flowing back into communities either through paid wages yep. or through paid taxes and government revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And and my, my little company that you know we started in twenty sixteen, we opened in twenty seventeen. Um, I employ fifty eight people at our Southridge location. Um, government really helped me over there lay a good framework so I could employ those fifty eight right. people. Um, I have about 38 here at our downtown location in the third ward, um, but this is still growing. Right. You know, as we grow and as we come out of the pandemic, we'll get busier. Right. We'll have more tables. I'll need more people. Right. Um, eventually, this will be a this will be a 55 to 60 person um, location. location. Okay. Um, it's a lot of people paying their rent um, based on coming here to work every day in a, in a, in a fun environment right. where we, you know, my mantra is across the board and I say it over and over again. They're so sick of me saying this, that everybody who walks through the door, whether you're a staff or a guest gets treated with kindness and respect. Right. And that's it. And you know, until they prove they don't deserve respect and then I get to deal with them, right. um, you will treat them with kindness and respect. And that's kind of what we create in this environment, and I, I think I started out when, when I was talking about creating a place where you know we want people to gather and you know and come in, and you know one of the you know and, I, and I'm going to get political a little bit. Sure. You know one of the you know 
I, I'll, I'll, I characterize it when I'm talking to people about the social thought police. You know, the social thought police have, have cast conservatives into a little box of, you know, racist bigots. And I take extraordinary exception to that. You know, I, and, and you know what, it's, it's interesting because um, I've created two places now right. where anybody's welcome. Right. And everybody feels welcome. To work, to eat. And I hear it all the time. And if you ask any of my staff, what's Mike's mantra? It's like, it's everybody who walks through the door, kindness and respect at all times. And, you know, and I, and I just, you know, sometimes um, I get in these discussions at the bar. I try to keep politics outside the front door. But, um, but you know, once, a, one time, once in a while it comes up because, you know, you can, you know, you can be a conservative and have conservative ideals and, and believe that, you know, government's not the answer and smaller government... Right off our back is is pro- probably would help us a little more right. um, and and not be you know what you're cast as and I and I don't like being called something I'm not um, and I'm pushed back against it all the time and you're right to do it and people need to get pushed back on when they go into that space and look I, you know a bit about my story right I grew up a Democrat I had mm-hmm. to figure the life out myself and part of that was experience that you and I both had it was military service it was just living life the left is bankrupt in terms of ideas that actually foster success for people and so their political play has been to just other the, the those that don't share their viewpoint and to do what it everything they can to make conservatism an untouchable idea. Right. So that is how they're trying to keep people kept into the left and voting for them. And the results are not good. I mean, we can can tour around Milwaukee and see all the neighborhoods that have been adversely affected by these policies. And our group does, No Better Friend does a lot of stuff in education reform. Yeah. And boy, just take that one policy, right? Education reform. I know. And and we so sorely need it. A hundred percent. So sorely need it are starting off without a shot because the schools yep. aren't functioning properly. And right. Look, we can blow that out and talk about COVID. We, our, mm-hmm. you know, we were just, our team was delivering um, hand sanitizer to schools in the Milwaukee area and up in Sheboygan recently. And the goal is, like, keep schools open. Kids can go to school. Right. And not only can they, they have to, or they're going to fall behind, to say nothing of, like, curriculums that aren't teaching them properly. So right. we, we really want to talk about creating that canvas, get people the right education, get them on the right trajectory. Yep make them the kind of people who can start businesses, work in businesses, and then guess what? You're not they're not dependent on you for their help. Right. And and you know and I you're you're talking to a guy that hires a lot of entry level workers. Um, and I'd say I'd say a third of my a third of my workforce is entry level. Okay. Um, about a third is is kind of, you know, some experience. Right. So but not not far away from entry level and then the top third are generally pretty well educated, very experienced in the industry. And what it, it's kind of a shame sometimes when I hire people with high school diplomas um, and, you know, tickets are coming out of the printer and they can't read them. Right. And, you know, and you, and it, it's, it's really hard because somebody who can't read is not going to admit to you that they can't read. Right. They're going to try to stumble through it. Right. And it, it's, you know, if, if it's not a busy day, they can figure it out and they get it done. And, right. you know, there's, you know, the, the spirit of the people is there. Right. They want to learn and they want to be good at what they do. But I, I have, there's, there's people that we've had to let go because when it gets busy and they don't have the time to figure it out um, and they, they're, they're, um, they're hindered by their lack of ability. Right. And it's, and it's a shame. These are people, these are people that have high school diplomas and that's, that's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I see it. I, I'm, I, I would love for the people that walk through my door that have a high school education to have the skill set, to have the skill set that right. I would kind of expect, you know, at least be able to read, um, and, and do basic math. And I mean, I had to change my, and, and to this day on my job application on the back of the job application is some very simple math problems. Okay. Um, and you know, you know, you receive $10 on a, you know, $8.89 sent bill what is the change um you know and those sorts of things or you know you need to give five dollars and change and here's what you have available you know so i mean i have that on my application just so i can kind of you know see who can solve those those um those problems um so that i can figure out you know who's actually qualified to work and that's i mean it goes so much to the, the world that you and i worked in previously in the military um look 
leaders have an obligation to train their people to be able to do the job and to, to take it, you know, to, to go accomplish the mission. Um, but as a business owner, yes, you have an expectation of people coming with a certain core skill set. Correct. Particularly your point, if you've got a high school or a GED, a high school education or a GED, you're walking in, you can do the basics. And that's Correct. what enables you to go out and live life. And getting back to your original point, right, the thought police can be out there pushing weird uh, theories into schools and trying to push their politics into schools. We as a society need to take a step back and say, but yep. yet kids are coming out, a lot of kids, mm -hmm. not a few. A lot. Four skill sets, or even, and then take it a step further, historical context, understanding what's unique about this country, what makes it amazing. Right. Um, and that is doing incredible harm to our society. So I, anytime somebody wants to push political correctness and cast allegations, I'd love to come back to and say, okay, and what are you doing to address the problems right. that are really harming society? Right, exactly. Yeah, and we, and we do spend a lot of time training. You know, yep. there, we're, some of the positions we're hiring are for entry level, yep. but without that skill set, it just makes it that much harder. It's just, not just and and it's and it's um, it, it's kind of shocking to me. I mean, I came from professional services, so you know, even the entry level people we're hiring have college educations. Right. And I never really, you know, until I got into hospitality, I never really experienced that. And like I said, I don't. Um, I mean, the people that we're hiring, they want to do well. Right. And their spirit is there. They want to learn. And they, if, if I had the time and unlimited resources to, to teach them, right. I would. I'm not an educational institution. I'm a right. business. I have to make money. And unfortunately, sometimes it just means that they don't work out. Yeah. So, And it's sad. It's sad. I mean, I've had some really good people you know, that we just couldn't have because they can't read a ticket. Can't do the job. Yeah, it's just yeah, sad. None of what we're saying is disparaging people. This is about getting real about what the real challenges are that we face. And yep. I think in our conversations, and this has been true not just of yourself, but of other business owners that we've talked to, it's a very real recognition of like, hey, I'm here, yeah, of course I have to be profitable or the whole thing shuts down. So Correct. Yeah. Yes, we have to. Well, and, and and even right now with our low our low capacity, I have 38 people that pay their rent, right. you know, exactly. based on the decisions that I make. Right. And if I decide to become a charity and not make money, I don't have a, I don't have donors that that right. drop money on me to keep us afloat. Or taxpayers that are legally obligated to continue to pay you. Cor yes. right. Correct. And right. so you know, and and sometimes sometimes that concept is hard to express to some people. Yes. Um, because you know there's there's a mentality um, especially with the, the younger generation that you know well you know hey isn't there a backup plan isn't there no when I run out of resources I have to close the doors right and so I refuse to let that happen right. you know and so so yeah it's it's you know it, it it goes back to the overall thought process and how how a business works and understanding that there is no you know there is no you know backup plan yeah you know there's not I mean the um, the failure rate amongst restaurants is very real, it's very pronounced, they don't all make it, they're not all guaranteed to, and especially in this environment with the challenges that you're facing, uh, you got to be pragmatic about it. I think, you know, and you're kind of drawing, I mean, we talked we talk about COVID implications, you know, recently the federal government had another round of discussion on cutting checks out and, and dispersing money and how much money is to be dispersed and when right. it's to be dispersed by. And it's hard not to see this, one, to respect the fact that yes, many people are going through very difficult times. A certain amount of that is induced by a real healthcare crisis, and a certain amount is induced by just bizarre policies that have really put people in a very difficult spot. Many times unnecessarily, one of the things that you impressed about me when we walked in here is you put designs in your restaurant, which look nice to start with, but also to address a health issue that we're facing now. And if, unfortunately, we're ever to face a similar issue again in the future, it would still be relevant. Right. That's a market response. It leaves people in a position where they can still come out to eat, mm -hmm. and we don't have to literally shut down society. Everything we do is a risk. Right. And, you know, I recognize there's a risk. I, there's a risk. There's, there's a real risk, me as a business operator, being open in this environment. Right. Um, but we mitigate those risks through good practices and enforcement and accountability and all those things that, that we need to do. And that's, that's what I explain to my staff here, is that, you know, hey, you have to do the right things all the time so that people don't see that. And people, right. you know, and, and they've, they've bought into that concept. And I, I've been super proud of my staff in that they've bought into that concept. The result is, is that I've been able to get through the pandemic. I mean, I've had to borrow some money. 
Um, I've had to make some hard choices. I've had to cut some people. But the people that are here are all working at their same pay rates they had a year ago. Okay. Um, we've adjusted our operations, and I, and I hate to use the word pivot. It's so, over, so overused. <laughs> you sound like a consultant. <laughs> uh, um, so, but, you know, we've adjusted <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, to operate, you know, and be, still be able to make money and make ends meet. Right. Um, and keep people paid the way they should be paid. Right. Um, so that's that's been you know that's probably my most proud thing in this that we've been able to get through this and never mind the fact that we've opened another location, um, which is right in the middle of all this. Which is which has been difficult. Right. Um, I have to, it's hasn't been an easy proposition. Right. Um, and it's been a much slower build of customer base than I would have hoped. Okay. Um, because I just like the things we talked about earlier. It's 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 building consumer confidence. Right. You know, on a very small scale and having them have confidence in us that we'll do the right things all the time. Right. And uh, so I hope people recognize that, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'm hoping that, you know, maybe this podcast, a few people listen to it and hear that and understand it. And, you know, maybe it, you know, inspires them to come check it out and see for themselves. Well, as you should. And I, I mean, I hope that customers listen to it, but I hope policymakers do, too. Um, because at the end of the day, right, like as you watch various, it's particularly municipality leaders right around the country, right? And this could be from. New York to Los Angeles to here, I understand completely their concern about the healthcare system becoming overburdened, and that's something we've seen at flashpoints that has happened with with COVID. Uh, but then there's the common sense reality of like encouraging the right behaviors of accountability within businesses that are right. continuing to service people. There's a market response that you're talking about right now, which is that your consumers are watching you. They want to be in an environment where they feel safe, comfortable, happy to be there, or right. they're not going to come back. Um, but at the end of the day, you balance all this against, like you said, anything's going to involve risk. Right. And if the idea is that we will just unilaterally shut down society and pay people checks off of money our government truly does not have. Does not have. <laughs> does not have. I know. Loan from China. Um, right. And I wish I was kidding when I said it, but it's true. Yeah. We have to make rational choices. And yep. again, I didn't say risk-free, nor did you, but rational. And yep. rationality is something which seems to be in short order as right. of recent times. Um, and it's been a real shame. Total change of subject. Um, I want to know. Good. I'm tired of talking about yeah, COVID. I don't, I don't, we are all tired. Of <laughs> way, about way tired about talking about COVID. Total change. Let me ask. So favorite uh, food item on the menu, favorite beer? Oh, gosh. Um, Right. So, so okay. So here's here's what I always say, and and people that know me and they hear this are gonna yeah. roll their eyes, but it's like picking a favorite kid, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, I like them. I like them on diff- better on different days. Right. Right. Which is fair. <laughs> um, which is fair. Um, I, I'd say my my favorite menu item is our meatloaf. Um, it's probably. Um, probably what I eat the most frequently okay. um, when I'm having dinner. Right. Um, if I'm not having dinner, I eat wings. Okay. Um, I love our wings. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're very good. As far as beers go, depends on the time of day and depends on the season. Okay. Um, what's interesting is normally in the winter season, I'm into really big high ABV beers. Um, but our, our head brewer came out with this beer. I actually have a beer here You're and drinking I'm drinking beer right it. Now. I'm weak. I'm drinking water. Right, you might see it. You might see it in uh, in the in the photos for the podcast. But um, it's a really nice light lager. Um, we call it Hoppy Pills. Okay. Um, it just has a really nice hop bitter bite to it and a big hoppy nose. Um, it's been my favorite. I can't get away from it. Okay. Um, it's turned into my um, my winter, and it's it's good because it's a very light beer, and um, I'm trying to cut back. Um, my uh, my my daughter uh, my segueing into something else i'm sure. sorry but no, my, okay. my daughter just got an appoint a principal nomination to the military academy oh congratulations thank you that's awesome um so uh so but it's 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 really good so hopefully uh in another generation of uh, dobles in the military I was gonna should say, be kind of cool yeah so now she so she is she you said nominated to both the academy and to and West to the um, West Point and to the Air Force Academy. Okay, gotcha. Well, so, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So she's got a big she's got a big decision to make. She does. You know, I mean, I had a traditional college experience and had a great time, and right. I met my wife there, yeah. and you know, we settled here, and you know, we've been and together. Serve your country after, and yeah, and right. you know, we've been together since we were eighteen. Right. Um, so uh, so yeah, there's you know, and th- and that could happen at West Point or the Air Force Academy for right. her as well, um, but uh, but you know, it, in the end. Whatever decision she makes, um, she will serve in some capacity. She just, she just has a very, very strong desire to serve, 
you know, whether that's go to college and go through ROTC or, you know, go to one of the agencies or um, she, um, you know, she sees what her grandfather did. She sees what I did and, and how, how a very short stint of service, I was in six and a half years, how it shaped me into the person I am. And, right. um, and it's, it, it's a defining factor in my entire personality. Right. You know, you don't realize that when you're 18 or you're, you know, 23 like I was when I was commissioned as a second lieutenant. You know how the next six and a half years would just completely shape my personality. It really does. It changes, um, yeah, it changes your perspective. It changes your perspective. It changes your outlook. Um, it um, it changes your convictions a little bit. Right. You know, you you learn you learn to focus on something larger than yourself. Right. Um, and and I and I believe that's that's partly why I'm I'm so conservatively minded. Um, is because, you know, I believe in something bigger than me. Yeah. Um, it's not about me taking, it's about me giving, you know. And I, I mean, I, I always think back to John F. Kennedy. You know, I wish we could have another John F. Kennedy. You know, I know he was a Democrat, but you know what? He was, he was a true American, you know, like a lot, you know, like Reagan was. And it's, you know, and, and respect for the office and respect for our country. And it's not about what I can get, but what I can give. And if, if we all give, we are, gonna, we are all going to get I agree. You know, I agree with you. And I look in my campaign. I try to articulate. I was getting attacked because I was a Democrat 20 years ago. It was a lot of time wasted on that, and became a huge controversy. And I said, look, a big part of the reason I am a conservative is my military service. I took my military service was a combination of accountability, planning, like doing the things you have to do to like take care of big problems, which means thinking about them logically. Right. Many of this applies directly to the concepts of conservatism, which it, so much about it is creating um, accountability that allows people to go make good decisions, you know, sharing yep. the lessons of good decisions with people so that they can then build their success and go do great things. And so much of that I got from the Marine Corps is it just opened my eyes and made me realize, well, okay, this just boil things down to logic and do the right thing. It's going to work out. Right. And the more people doing the right thing, the better life moves forward and we're not all dependent upon the government right. to, to figure it out for us. That's a good thing. Um, why that became controversial, I, well, I do know why. People have got their own motivations for everything. Politics right. is a horrible thing. <laughs> but leaving that aside for a moment, I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, it, it, this all started out by you asking what my favorite food yeah, dish and right. favorite beer that's are. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's amazing where conversations can go. Yes. Um, meatloaf? Meatloaf and, is, the meatloaf is fantastic. Excellent. And, uh, um, meatloaf and wings kind of split. If you ask my wife, it's always going to be our crispy salmon. She loves okay. our, uh, um, we get fresh salmon and uh, it's, it's done very, very nicely. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and obviously the beer, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really nice to be able to come into a place and drink a product that you know it's all natural. There's no preservatives in it. Um, it's fresh, no junk, um, and, you know, made right behind, right behind me. me. I'm literally staring yeah. at where it's made, which is awesome. Yeah, and you saw the fresh ingredients in the basement. You know? absolutely did. You, you know? saw it. Locally sourced and sourced abroad, too, but you've got a great mix and yep. good supply chain. Let me ask, what what makes you excited about the future of the Explorer? I know we've talked about challenges and bad stuff and all that, but like as you look to the future, what makes you excited? You know what? I, I'm, I'm extraordinarily optimistic about um, where, where and, and the potential, I guess, more than anything of our city. The city of Milwaukee is a gem. Um, it's a gem because it's a, it's a small town, big city. I yep. say that a lot. Well, right, what is. I mean by that is when I'm walking down the street, I see people I know, right? Um, when, when you grow up in a place where you see people you know all the time, you tend to do fewer dumb things, <laughs> right? So I love that about Milwaukee, that everybody knows each other. And there's a huge potential in that. And, you know, the people, you know, the, the kids that are coming out of school undereducated in some parts of this city, you know, we know who they are. We can help fix that, right? It, 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 in my view, I get so optimistic about this city is because it's small enough that somebody like me with just a, a little brew pub, two brew pubs, you know, I can take some of, some of the money I make and help, help fund a kid's education at Cristo Rey High School, right? Put them to work, have them earn some money to pay for their school, and that makes a difference. And I, you know, I, I could, you know, I can go and help, you know, some kid who doesn't have the opportunity to get a really good education and help them get a good education. The city, I'm optimistic about the city because it's small enough that it, just an individual can make a difference in this city. 
Um, I do a lot of, in the past, I've done a lot of work with the United Community Center. Um, so even as an engineer, I helped them with projects. I donated services. I designed some buildings for them. Um, and I see what they do over at the UCC and in the, in the Hispanic community. And it's huge. And, you know, me donating a little bit of services and helping them build a halfway house and then using that halfway house to reintegrate some people that had some addiction problems or whatever back into the community, you know, that's what I, you know, that's my ultimate goal for what I'm doing here at Explorium is to be able to parlay that into community support. And those that know me, you know, I, it, it might sound like a little bit of bloviating BS, but those that know me and, and know me for the last few years in Greendale, you know, we support the local sports teams. You know, we support the band going to going to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You know, we do all those things that a, that a, that a, a good community member would do. You know, we take our resources and we put it into things that do that do good. Right. Being here now in the city of Milwaukee, you know, our focus is shifting a little bit. You know, right now we can't do a whole lot. You know, we need to grow this business and, you know, get to be profitable and, right. you know, get out the of current moment. Uh, right. the current moment. Right. Um, but, you know, that's what's to me is so exciting. Um, the, the, the funnest thing I've ever done as an adult is give away money. And give away money for a cause. Um, we do a ton of fundraising. Um, we did a um, Lift for the 22 is one of my favorite charities. Uh, Dan Newberry um, is uh, um, a vet. Okay. Um, he started a charity called Lift for the 22. Um, his whole premise is to uh, sponsor gym memberships for veterans struggling with PTSD, okay. um, and you know, you know, maybe have mental health issues. Um, and he recognized when he got out of the military that he kind of lost his tribe, right? right? And right. and you kind of really wander, you know, you lose your group of guys, you lose right. your group of girls, you know, and your your tribe, right? right? Well, he tries to rebuild that tribe for people that are struggling by offering gym memberships and sponsoring them at different gyms. So we raise money for Lift for the 22. Awesome. Um, we had an event here, um, I don't know, six weeks ago, raised $7,500 at the event. You know, that got, that got, you know, 20, 30 vets, a year's worth of gym membership, you know, and, you know, maybe help, you know, fix those statistics. You know, hopefully we can continue to do that and expand that to other things. I mean, I, I have all kinds of ideas. You know, one of my, like I said, one of my favorite things to do is to find causes, latch onto them and attack them with the tenacity that, uh, you know, can solve the problem. And, and that's what I love about Milwaukee is it's a small enough town that an individual can make a difference. And if everybody thought that way, we could get a lot of work done. It's the way American civil society is supposed to work. Yep. It's the, you're talking about individuals taking responsibility, helping each other out, committing to a community. Uh, so much of what enabled this country to become what it is today is based on that very mindset, understanding it's not just a talking point. The government just can't do all those things. It literally right. can, does not have the resources or the ability to. But what you're talking about is leading in your community, being invested in your fellow your fellow American, and finding ways to help people. And um, thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing it on behalf of the Milwaukee community. And thank you for everything you've done to get the Explorium up and running and to keep it running in a difficult time. We're going to keep going. Mike, it has been great to have the chance to, to sit down and talk with you, and I look forward to seeing the future at the restaurant. Kevin, I, I hope we get to know each other better. Likewise. I appreciate talking to you very much. Good deal. Well, take thanks. care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Right Idea Podcast, and we'll see you soon. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, or wherever you listen to podcasts.